Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my Mandalorian buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing this evening? I am actually pretty darn stoked. Uh, you know, fun fact, I don't think you know this about me, but I do have a Mythosaur skull tattoo on my leg. Do you really? Yes, I do. And then in uh, Mandoa, I actually have uh, no job is too big written around it. Wow, that's cool. And just in case you're wondering what we're talking about, <laughs> Disney Plus just came out today, the day that we are recording this. Mm-hmm. So we're both kind of hype on Star Wars and Gargoyles and reliving our, the entirety of our childhood. Pretty much. Oh yeah, definitely. Guess what? There's some really cool Star Wars RPGs. Yes, I, I'm in one. Yeah, tell tell us a little bit about it. This is this is an RPG tabletop uh, podcast. It's not all D anD. Let's uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the Star Wars tabletop. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, is that because there's been so many that have come out, there was you know like an old Wizards of the Coast that was essentially like D anD. D three point five. And then they revised that, and then there was like a legacy like version. Star Wars skin three point five, pretty yeah, much. pretty much, yeah. And then there's like a, a some legacy version that was a different system, and then now there's an entirely different system. Like they've had so many different like systems in in the past that the game that I'm in started on a three point five, and then switched to a hybrid between that and like the legacy one or whatever. So it's interesting because. Um, all the the source material and stuff that the DM's using is based off of the 3.5 stuff, except he's trying to adapt it into a much more or much less complex system. So we had to go through and take our character sheets and then kind of take everything that we had with that and then shift it and reduce like the amount of ability points that we can put into things and stuff. And it, it, it's a lot of work to get it balanced out. And I am thankful that he does that, but because he does that, he's, you know, opened up the world to a bunch of different things and a lot of expanded materials. So we've got like a Chiss in our party. Uh, we have a Togruta in our party. Uh, I play an astromech droid. You know, it's like, we're just having a lot of fun. Uh, we have one, one character who is a, uh, not exactly a fallen Jedi or anything, but he's more of like, you know, was a Padawan at some point because this is taking place um, in like, I believe between uh, episodes, uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope or is it shortly after A New Hope? I forget. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Empire bad. That's all I know. But uh, like I've <laughs> got this Empire bad. Oh yeah. Now I've got this whole backstory where I used to be like a uh, an infiltration astromech into like to try to bust like pirates and find rebels and stuff like that but my memory got wiped. I was found in a trash pile so uh, one of the other players is you know my, my master and uh, she helped repair me. We, we kind of uh, fixed up a ship together and stuff. And I mean, it, we've got a, a, a really cool, fun story going on. And then transplant that into a module that it's, you know, kind of interesting and, 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 and fun. I, I'm really enjoying it. We're That's awesome. still using a, uh, you know, mostly D20 system and everything. And it's working out pretty well so far. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. Actually, one of the things on my Christmas list this year is a game called Imperial Assault, mm, which yes. is basically a a tabletop Star Wars game with minis and yeah. That is where we stuff. got our character figures from. <laughs> that's awesome. 
yeah, yeah I, w- I went and I found the uh, the R two D two C three PO pack and painted the R two D two on different colors and stuff. I'm I'm like green and white, and uh, I gave the the C three PO to the DM, so he's got a protocol droid he can use for things now. So that's super cool. So yep, guess what? There's a, a lot of other really cool RPG systems out there, but yes. we are going to specifically <laughs> talk about. <laughs> Some D and D, but it, it, this is not just a D and D concept um, for mm-hmm. for our first DM concept of the night. This is this is this is kind of uh, I guess viable for any sort of RPG, pretty much system you might play. And we're going to talk about creating the perfect BBEG. And if you've never heard that term before, it is short for Big Bad Evil Guy. Yep. Fun fact. I had not heard that ever before, or at least the definition of it until like maybe a month ago. <laughs> so I'm like, BBEG, what is that? Yeah. yeah. Big, big, bad, evil guy. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, creating really interesting, big, bad, evil guy. <laughs> evil guys <tonight. laughs> um, and the, the first thing that I like to, to take into account when I'm, whenever I'm trying to create uh, a really interesting villain, especially if this is going to be an ongoing villain. Of course, no plan survives first contact, especially when you have a party of players involved and your dude so might true. die <laughs> the first time uh, they come into contact. But but just plan plan for if you if you have this if you want to have this reoccurring villain um the first thing you want to do is you want to give them motivation mm-hmm. you want to anybody can make a a tropey evil dude it's just like i want to rule the world or i <laughs> want to, yeah <laughs> twisting the mustache uh or you know i want to destroy all life on this planet and Sure, right. Throw him up against an old god who wants nothing more than to wipe out all life on Earth. Great, that's definitely an option. You can mm-hmm. you can totally do that. But I think you can you can do a lot more if you give them interesting motivations. So not only are they the antagonist of these heroes, what? are their goals what are their what are their objectives and even more so than that uh what is their mindset because a lot of bad guys think they're the good guy mm-hmm. definitely they're the good guy of their own their own story because what they're doing they believe to be the right thing even if in most everyone else's eyes it's the wrong thing. So when you create those type of villains, you can make things far more interesting and have a much more uh, emotional, emotionally rich connection. Exactly. I mean, to put it into movie terms, let's look at uh, two movies in particular. Uh, first off, there's Justice League. Uh, Stephen Wolf, Stephen Wolf, something like that. Don't even really know his name fully, partly because I'm not a huge DC fan, but also uh, he wanted the mother boxes because. Yep. Cool. Big old shrug. He got some. Uh, then look at, you know, Infinity War. Thanos. It's been built up. 
over the course of a lot of storytelling. But even more so, in that specific movie, you find out his exact motivation. He thinks that he is this benevolent you know, uh, person who is making the whole entire universe better for, well, whoever will be left. You know, it, it, I've even seen it said online, like some people are like, you know, he kind of had a point. If you have a, or a, a villain who there's a slight bit of, they could be right to it. You know, you've actually developed someone with, you know, a good motivation, a good story to it. And it's one of the reasons why, I mean, so much work went into the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course, but it's one of the reasons why Thanos is a majorly huge figure in that. And one of the reasons why I keep going back to how much I love that movie. Yeah. And it's it's depth. Yeah. Depth. And it's under underscores a problem that many of the Marvel movies had is that their villains were most of them were incredibly one note, mm-hmm. had very little motivation, uh, very little to do other than I'm here to oppose the heroes, period. Mm-hmm. Very little motivation. Exactly. Whereas, like you said, Thanos was very built up. He had actual motivation to do things. It's why in a lot of ways, when you see movies and such, uh, the movies normally are more about the heroes, not the villains. And so mm-hmm. because of that, the villains end up getting shortchanged and you have a weaker villain character. Whereas if you watch TV shows that can build up over weeks and weeks and weeks, take uh, the original Daredevil oh, show. Yes, definitely. D'Onofrio, uh, Kingpin. Incredibly, in- incredibly in-depth villain with lots of motivation he thinks he's right because he's he's doing stuff uh out of his his particular view of what will help the city right Mm -hmm. and so it's and that's something you can do in your game too and one of the things that i encourage is make your villain's presence known throughout several sessions or even an entire story arc or even the entire campaign, depending on what type of of villain you want this to be. There's definitely, there's definitely uh, room for those little one and done type villains. There's, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that, but having that villain who is there that the heroes know or that the heroes uh, come into contact with, uh, multiple times can really build that emotional story a lot and really make for some amazing interactions to where your heroes will eventually be like, Oh my gosh, it's him again. I can't believe that was him. Or I can't believe what he just did. Uh, Like he just burned that entire village because X motivation of his and he thought that was the right thing and all sorts of really interesting stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, one, of the, one of the best keys to doing that is making sure that you play your villains smart because there's a lot of villains you can play that are really dumb. There's a lot of scenarios you can get into when you throw a villain at the, your character's they fight to the death. It's a one and done type thing. 
Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about this um, several episodes ago, playing to the intelligence of, of the monster or the villain. And most likely, if this is going to be a big villain with some sort of big arc, they'll have motivation, they'll have strategy, they'll have interesting ways, they'll be spying on the heroes, they will send minions against the heroes to test what they can do. So by the time they actually interact with the heroes or they fight the heroes, they will know the hero's capabilities and they will be prepared to counter the hero's capabilities. So there's a lot of really interesting ways you can play that out. Exactly. And it's funny because there's, I mean, there's different ways of looking at it. You know, you you can have it so that your, your players are interacting with this, you know, with, with the big bad evil guy, or you can look at it this way. They could be, or you could lead up to actually introducing him, you know, have something going on that your evil guy is actually, you know, causing it's the source of but have them running into different bits of it as you're kind of going through the whole process you know maybe um they hear rumors of oh well this town was destroyed and you know have there kind of be grumblings and stuff you know throw some of those those plot hooks and breadcrumbs out there so that they can kind of go and investigate it and it'll actually help make it a little bit more um you know can't think of the right word other than just like you know natural in in flowing in and growing that story but at the same time if you want you know put little bits of of, uh not exactly easter eggs but uh you know little clues here and there maybe um they're in the same town at one point together or something and and you know they bumped into like literally bumped into them or something and just kept walking you know It, it it all comes down to the descriptions and everything that you put out there where they don't need to be the center focal point of your group until it's, you know, the, the time that you really want to reveal that they've been this gigantic thing that's affecting the entire region or world or something that's been going on. Like, I'd like the idea of, uh, and I've said it before of having a living world where things are happening and being able to just kind of stumble into, I don't know, some sort of cataclysmic event or something that's happening and, you know, putting all those tiny pieces and, and, and pulling everything together and stuff, it's just one of those like, whoa, this is insane. And it's not that easy to do unless you have some pre-planning and just ideas and are able to kind of move things around and, and flow with it and stuff. Like best example I can think of is um, the, the first reboot season of Doctor Who, Bad Wolf. It's everywhere, but you don't really know it until all of a sudden it hits at the end and you realize, Oh crap, there's actually something huge going on here. Yeah, no, totally. I, I love the idea of the story behind the story mm-hmm. where other stuff is going on independent of what your players are doing. And you can kind of, and you don't have to have all the specifics in your head, but have the long game, have, have the arc. So just to kind of give an example uh, from what I'm doing. I know, I know this is going to kind of spoil talking about <laughs> our games a little bit, but it actually fits in really well with, with what we're doing right or what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so this last session, I've been kind of slowly building this whole tension between uh, continents, the, the dragonborn on the other continent in their capital city, are currently being ruled by majority uh, chromatics. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they're very much of the mindset that the the metallics are inferior um and that most people are inferior to them and so they've been basically starting to terrorize this main city especially the dragonborn district of my capital city which is a far larger population of metallics than chromatics mm-hmm. and so the the players have could have gone several different directions but they ended up getting caught up in one of these plots where the 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 dragonborn chromatic uh the centers essentially in the city uh unleashed this mana bomb that destroyed hundreds of of square feet of part of the the dragonborn district just incinerated it Mm -hmm. and so they they got wrapped up all in this they started getting wrapped up all in this plot and this has allowed me and i had a i have a lot of like big arcs that are kind of going on now it's just like here's here's this big one that's going on here's this political uh war brewing type thing going on here's this other one that's going on and they just ended up tugging on one of those. And so now, so because of that, I can, okay, I can develop that more. Now I can start developing that a little more in detail, a little more granularly. And it ended up that they went and, uh, discovered where they were keeping this second mana bomb that they were going to use to set it off, turned into this giant warehouse fight that was absolutely nuts, like two and a half hours. It was was crazy. And uh, I introduced one of the big bads. I finally got it. it, There had been little mentions of him here and there. Mm -hmm. Uh, His, who's, I, I, I calling him, I'm calling him the harbinger. And he's this giant red dragonborn that is super, super beast. Uh, And they ran into him. And he almost killed one of my characters, the new guy that had just started. <laughs> Isn't course. that how it always is? <laughs> of course. Uh, if he had, if he had, if the other guy had gone down like one attack earlier or missed one death saving throw, he literally, his character literally would have died. So I felt a little bad about that, but I thought, it, but it ended up being really good to kind of show off. Mm-hmm. this big bad's power and he in, ended up retreating out of the thing after he saw that the situation was starting to go unfavorably it's just one of those things where yes this character i'm running could probably take down he'll probably get taken down but he could probably kill two or three of the players with him but that wouldn't be a smart thing to do. Why would he do that? What would his motivation be for going down fighting to this random group of people that he's never seen before? And so that's mm-hmm. part of the whole playing it smart. He's going to tactically retreat. He's kind of given this impression of him. He took down one of the player characters, made his exit. And now that can be a thing that I can develop with agents of his or more shows of force or a a broader story in the future. Exactly. And that's one of the things is um, especially if you're, you know, 
playing it smartly and playing it, you know, fairly as well. Uh, yeah, there is always a chance that, you know, like you said, the big bad evil guy might just fall. But again, smart decision making usually means that they've got one, two, five, you know, exit strategies because it's just what they're doing. They're, there's a reason why they're the big bad. You know, they, they've stuck around this long. And I mean, there's multitudes of different ways that you can escape, whether it's, you know, having more minions come in and try to distract everybody, um, using a ring of invisibility to just poof, get out of there. I mean, the, various ways to, to just make sure that, uh, you know, you can leave and keep that going. What I don't recommend is taking the player agency away from the actual players. If you want your big bad evil guy to be there and be this really awesome force or something, and it looks like they're going to win, don't just you know automatically be all like, ha, huh, now he has this impenetrable shield and you can't do anything and he knocks you all out or something. It, there's nothing more disheartening than you know, all of a sudden just, oh, well, you, know, you lose because story. You know, plot armor. Exactly. If you want the dude to have plot armor, you have to be smart about it. Um, I made this mistake a long time ago when I was running a fourth level. I wanted the the big bad evil guy to be just, you know, so cool and so scary and everything that he was able to just knock everybody out and they had no chance of hitting him or anything. And, and it just, I saw that it was the wrong thing to do. It's the, you know, the players just like disheartened by that. It's like, well, what now? You know, just it, it turned out just not being fun. And going forward, I'm like, okay, if for some reason they do kill this guy, maybe he's not the big bad. Maybe he was just working for the big bad, you know? Be able to kind of adjust your story and, and flow if you need to, if all of a sudden your, your, your party is really lucky on the rolls or they happen to have a counter spell to stop your teleportation away or... um you know, all of a sudden you're a charm person magically happens on your big, bad, evil guy. I mean, there, there's all these things that can and will happen when you're trying to do this, because as you said, you know, the, the plan fails as soon as it, it meets the enemy, if you will. Oh, the, the counter spell on the teleport getaway mm-hmm. is by far the worst. If you have a caster, keep that in mind. <laughs> If because you, it's not a surefire thing. If you are playing a caster, always choose counterspell if it's available. Yep. And we, we're going to talk about that here pretty soon mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. Um, but I, what are, so what is your, what is your favorite big bad evil guy? Like my personal, my personal love, and I, I know I've talked about this a little bit before, is making dragons mm-hmm. big bad evil guys because there's so much you can do with them they have there's so much power uh ha- them having minions makes a whole lot of sense them having wealth and power it makes a whole lot of sense uh and if you if you play it the way i do all young and older dragons have shape shape change and so oh they have to. oh of course i mean it's it's just makes it so much more interesting and so you've got 
potentially these dragons messing with politics Mm -hmm. or manipulating behind the scenes. And then it just can come into this big culmination where it reveals itself for what it truly is. And ah, it's just, there's just so much fun. Yeah. I now granted, I haven't done a whole lot of big, bad, evil guys. Uh, a big part of it is because the the game that I'm DMing right now is, you know, my first real long campaign that I've done. So without going too deep into it and everything, something that I like, uh, at least when I'm building, you know, uh, evil characters and stuff, greed is a very good motivation. Whether it is for power, for money, for uh, privilege of some sort. And because of that, they make very interesting choices along the way to get the things that they want. And because I do know that some of my players do listen, I can't go into big details, <laughs> but it, there, there's, there's choices that have been made that are affecting more in this region than they probably realize. And it is for an ultimate goal of something. The, the big gigantic evil guy might be something pretty big and they're just kind of dealing with the, the lower ends of things right now. But uh, overall, I think it's going to be an interesting story when they finally get things revealed, but you know, we'll see how it plays out or it's just going to be incredibly boring and pointless and, and uh, one note and then I'll learn for next time. So yep. who knows? And that's, that's, that's the thing you got to keep in mind. All this is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. You the the whole point is to try new things, throw a bunch of stuff at the players, see the types of things that stick, see the types of things that they like, and then develop those things and throw away the things that don't work. Exactly. It's it's, it's not a bad thing to do. I've got a whole world that could be full of little pockets of evil. In fact, the world is like that. <laughs> so this is just one area and, and we're seeing what happens here. You know, not everything needs to be the end all be all of the world. Like this isn't a, a, a season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where by the end of the season, we're going to save the world. It could just be, Hey, we're saving this little town from something, you know, look at, at what level your players are at and just kind of scale the evilness to that. If you need to. Exactly. It's, it's uh i guess appropriate appropriate challenges for for the level or sometimes i i think it's kind of interesting to not necessarily put the characters up against high level challenges mm-hmm. but to show them the realm of high level challenges show them a guy that they have no chance of beating right now and that might just be a background character. That might mm-hmm. be a character they hear about, but don't see until much later. But seeding little things like that along the way can make for very interesting things so that when the characters actually experience them, they can be like, oh, is that the dude from mm-hmm. way back then? Exactly. And, and having them grow to the point where they will be able to do something against them is a lot of fun too, because you have that journey along the way and all the story opportunities and everything that you have of them, 
basically, you know, montaging from level, you know, four to 12 or something. Yep. Completely agree. Uh, so if you have tips on creating your big, bad, evil guy, we'd love to hear about it. And I could use them <laughs> because he's making so many big, bad, evil guys and mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, that's just part of the learning experience. Sometimes you have incredible hits. Sometimes you have big old misses mm-hmm. and you just learn from them and take what you learn and pour it into your next creation. Exactly. But uh, if you want to talk about pouring yourself into something, have we got the best class for you? This is a class that needs to be very studious. Yes, incredibly so. It's a lot of time, a lot of dedication, and a lot of money. And uh, So much money. First off, I'll say I've never actually played one before. I've read up on it and everything. But Ryan, uh, so I hear that you have some experience with Wizards? Yes. Welcome to Wizards 101. <laughs> one of my personal favorite D&D classes. Though, and, and I don't know what your, what your preferences are, Ben, but I tend to lean more towards caster classes. Of some sort. I, I just, I'm not the, I'm not the martial class kind of guy unless it's got some spells <laughs> with it. Yeah. So the way that I am is for the most part, I prefer magic just because I don't have that in real life. So I love the idea of being able to do really cool things like this in the groups that I'm in for the most part, they've, they've been very caster heavy. So I've gone more martial and I found a lot of enjoyment there too. So, I mean, there's fun to be had all over the place, but wizard is like the epitome of, Hey, I'm in a fantasy world. I really need to take care of some stuff. I'm going to twiddle my fingers and say a couple words and guess what? Everything's fixed That's or destroyed. Right. Or, <laughs> or 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 warmer or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> your food is now spiced. Your clothes are now clean, and your bonfire is lit. Exactly. That is it. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to being a wizard. <laughs> uh, wizards. They're so much fun. Uh, they're they're a very unique class. They have, at least from a five E standpoint, they have the largest list of spells. Mm-hmm. in the game that you can learn. Uh, but it, the way you get them is incredibly unique among the D&D classes too because you start off with you, your whole shtick is a spell book. Mm-hmm. Your spells are written in and that you keep track of and that you prepare from. And then you get two spells per level for the most for the most part uh on level up to to add to your spell book but for the the grand majority of the game you will actually be seeking out spells to write in your spell book and learn which Mm -hmm. is is a very unique mechanic compared to a lot of the other classes Exactly. And this is something that you definitely want to work with your DM with uh potentially before starting. Um, you know, if it's a not or if the world's not very magically 
filled, you might have a hard time finding, you know, extra spells around or uh, being able to learn the, the certain ones that you want to. Um, one of the neat things is, is that if you stumble across a spell scroll, generally, if it's something that you'd be able to cast, you can transcribe that into your spell book. It's something that you learn, um, you know, compared to, hey, I leveled the seven, I get two more spells to know. So, you know, having something like that where, like, say you're, you're raiding a mage tower and you just have armfuls of scrolls and stuff could be something really cool or that could make you so OP that your DM might dial that back. There's, there's a lot of kind of give and take in that instance of uh, what you're kind of allowed to have, I would think. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And I, I completely echo the sentiment of if you're going to play a wizard, talk to your DM to make sure that you can have a legitimate means of acquiring more spells, mm-hmm. either via drops or via shops. Because exactly. this is not something that'll just happen. The DM has to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Unless you're, you're doing like random table loot and you get lucky and get, you know, spell scrolls or whatever. Uh, otherwise, the DM has to facilitate either the dropping of spell scrolls or the availability of spell scrolls at a shop. So make sure that that's a key point when you're playing a wizard is to make sure that you have some sort of uh, stream of spells Mm -hmm. and (laughs) lots of money because there are rules for transcribing spells of specific levels into your spell book. And it's a lot of time and a lot of money. So as a wizard, especially for your lower levels, at least in my every, every experience of mine playing a wizard, I'm a very poor wizard for a while. That's kind of how it goes. Uh, if I remember correctly, I was looking at it earlier tonight. I think it's uh, two hours and 20 gold per spell level. So if it, you're transcribing like a level five spell, that's going to be 10 hours and 100 gold right there. If I remember correctly, I, it looks like you're looking that up right now just to double check the price on that. I am. Um, it's, I, I feel like it's even more expensive than that. I think it is. It might be 50 gold. But uh, th- the point is, is that e- this is one of yeah, the things you're that right. limits two you. hours and 50 gold for each level. Okay. Yeah. So again, a level five, uh, that is 250 gold right there for a level five spell. And that's not cheap, not cheap at all. Nope. Um, one of the, the benefits though, is that as you're going through and, you know, creating your character at level two, you actually choose what's, what school of magic you want to focus in. And at that point, any spells that are of that type, it, it's only one hour and we'll say 25 gold because they don't have it pulled up um, per spell level. Just because, you know, if you're focused on that certain school of magic, you're going to understand, you know, that type of magic and be able to learn it and, and transcribe it over easier. And that's one of the, that's one of my favorite features of the wizard is spell schools. Mm-hmm. Because each spell school has very unique uh, traits that you can do that play into transmutation, evocation, uh, conjuration. There's just all the different all the different spell schools. Personally, I think my favorite is conjuration spell school. Oh, really? You get 
a really cool feature called minor conjuration that has is not super contextualized. So it has a ton of really cool uses and allows you to conjure actual items up of a certain size or type so that you can use them either in a role play situation or even in combat. You need a box to hop in and shoot spells (laughs) from whoop. (laughs) <laughs> I just conjured a box. That's great. Hopefully it's not cardboard because that's probably not going to work as well. But uh, like if you're looking for just pure, I want to do damage and everything, evocation is a good way to go. That's your, your fireballs, your blizzards, your, you know, kind of not, not fully elemental magic, but more, you know, damaging aspect of what you're looking at. Um, personally, I'm a fan of the, of, of the school of transmutation. I like the idea of, you know, swapping things around, changing physical forms. Like I, I don't know if it's because I was a mage in world of Warcraft, but polymorph is still one of my absolute favorite things. Uh, just because, you know, it has so many different purposes or, or uses. Uh, yeah. I can in turn combat myself, and non-combat. Exactly. I can turn myself into something giant in combat. You know, I'm not a frail wizard anymore, or uh, you can totally use it as crowd control, turn someone into a rat who you don't want to deal with right now. You know, as long as you got that concentration up, you're good. Yeah. And there's <laughs> this polymorph. I, I love that spell. And there's so many fun uses. <laughs> if you ever want to take someone out of a fight, turtle. Turn <laughs> turtle. Be very specific about the type of turtle because they can Not still Not a giant damaged. turtle, but a tiny turtle. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> in fact, in, in There Will Be Dungeons, uh, Stanley did uh, snail. Super easy. That's just another poof, good one. Snail. Yep. Yep. That's another really good one. Yep. Um, so playing a wizard. Wizards have a few really key things that you have to keep in mind. Number one, and this is, this is not just a wizard thing, but it, it is especially important for caster classes, concentration. Mm-hmm. So uh, we really haven't talked about concentration yet, but concentration is, is denoted on specific spells. And Per, per rules, you can cast one concentration spell at a time. And maintain it. And maintain it. If you cast another one, you will lose the previous concentration spell you were casting and switch to a new one. This basically just signifies this spell takes something extra mm-hmm. to keep going, something, some extra part of focus or energy uh, to keep going. So concentration is an extremely important uh, thing to keep in mind as a caster because every time you take damage while you are concentrating on a spell you have to make a constitution saving throw to see if you can maintain concentration or if you lose it which is either um half the damage that you take uh or 10 whichever's higher whatever's higher yeah. And and this is super important because if you think about it, if, if uh, Ryan, I polymorph you and turn you into a ferret and some dude just punching me on the side, my focus isn't going to be all, you're still a ferret the entire time because you're getting distracted by things that are going on. And then suddenly just poof, you're back. And then, Oh, maybe I should have made some better life choices. Um, or if you look at it this way, it's like, okay, I, Ryan, you're a ferret again. 
because you're rolling really horrible. <laughs> uh, but I need to get out of here, so I'm going to cast Fly on myself. I got to concentrate to make sure that I'm not falling out of the sky. Why am I going to worry about making sure that uh, you're still a ferret? Yep, it's it's true, and uh, that's actually one of the the really interesting thing uh, on on polymorph that I see with a lot of people who don't really understand how concentration works because I've seen a lot of wizards go, okay, I'll just polymorph myself into a mammoth or something and then just go attack things. The problem with that is that, yes, you're this big thing, you got a lot of HP, you, you can get up in the front line, but every time you take damage, you're going to be making concentration checks mm-hmm. to make sure you can maintain your form. If you fail crap you're a frail little wizard in the middle of everything (laughs) Uh, so in in a lot of instances strategically it can be better to polymorph someone else who can then go and use that big form to attack and not be taking concentration checks every time they get hit versus it being you Exactly. One other thing that I think is very important that we discuss first about concentration is that if you are concentrating on a spell, you can cast other spells as long as they aren't concentration spells. So if I am polymorphing uh, Ryan into be a, a Tyrannosaurus and he's out there biting and swinging and attacking and having a grand old time, I can still be throwing uh, fire bolts or acid splashes or you know whatever level spell I want to in the meantime, as long as I just, you know, don't cast another concentration spell. So if you do something like that, it doesn't mean you're out of the fight, just solely focused on this. You're still able to do a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Yep. Very much. So, um, the other really big thing that I wanted to talk about with, and this, again, this is not just wizard specific, but it does come into play more often with their class is the idea of ritual casting. So ritual casting is really, really interesting because, as you know, caster classes in D&D have a certain amount of spell slots, and this is what regulates their magic. However, there are some spells, um, and especially uh, a lot of wizard spells, because they get mm-hmm. this innately, that have a ritual cast feature. And this is really cool because... Having a ritual cast means you don't have to have the spell prepared and you can cast it for free at any time. Mm -hmm. The downside is it takes 10 minutes plus whatever the normal spell casting time is to cast the spell. So it's not a combat thing. Oh, no. (laughs) At all. Unless it's a really long combat. Oh, my gosh. That would be a... That'd be a what? Let's see, 10 rounds per one minute. So that would be... 100 round combat. 100 rounds. Plus if it's a minute plus, cast. <laughs> yeah, plus a minute cast or plus an action cast, another six. Seven. You're never going to have a combat that's going to last that long. It, you, you just, you just not. And if you do, that's a poor design. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that, that would be ridiculous. Um, but... The, from an out of combat perspective, it's a really cool feature and you want to, you want to kind of be aware as you're picking spells or as you're looking for spells or shopping for spells, the types of spells that have that ritual cast feature, because it really enables you uh, flexibility 
without having to spend resources that you would have otherwise had to spend. Exactly. Like one of the big key ritual casts that I always recommend if you have it available, but definitely to a wizard is identify. Uh, It is a spell that, you know, you find a whole bunch of loot. You can figure out if, you know, what it does. Is it some sort of magical item or something? You know, you found a really nifty looking sword. No one knows what it is. Ritual it. Oh, this is a plus two sword of awesomeness and, you know, distribute the, the loot and everything. You don't have to worry about going back into town, paying somebody to identify these things for you. Uh, you know, you're not going to talk to Deckard Kane to, to make sure that you have a, a really cool shoulder piece now or something, you know, it's or waste your spell slots. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you just have that take some time out of your day, find out everything. Um, I, I'm trying to remember is detect magic one as well. Generally, uh, yeah, I believe so. I mean, depending on what you're doing, that could work as one. Uh, that one you might want to use a spell slot on, especially if it's a pressing matter. Um, but different things like uh, Lehman's Tiny Huts, um, that's a really good one. That's a ritual you don't have to prepare. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that a wizard can do out of combat as well as in combat based on whatever spells you decide to learn. Yeah, and speaking of wizard spells. I wanted to touch on some of the really big ones, ones that I normally always take, but are very kind of classic key wizard spells that are extremely helpful, pretty much regardless of the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and the big three are number one, mage armor. Yes. Mage armor is really nice for wizards because most wizards, because they aren't wearing heavy armor, are not going to have very high AC. So this is a great way to bump your AC up a little bit and it's an, it lasts for eight hours. So you'll have it around for a long time and it's, it's um, just defensive. It, it can help you out a lot. Uh, second, from a defensive standpoint, is the shield spell. This is really nice because it's used as a reaction it ups your AC by five and it leaves your AC at five until the start of your next turn. So you get to keep that for the entire round until it gets back to you after you use your reaction. Mm-hmm. And this is another, because you've got a D six hit dice. You're not going to have a lot of health. And so survivability as a, as a caster is an incredibly uh, useful thing. So those two spells are ones that I always recommend taking. They're awesome. And then we talked about the third one that I almost always take, and it's Counterspell. And Counterspell is just absolutely incredible. Again, another reaction uh, spell cast, which it's always good to have that flexibility, have some bonus action spells, have some action spells, have some reaction spells, so that you have that flexibility. But it also can save your party's butt if someone's trying to charm somebody or someone's about to throw a fireball or, mm-hmm. you know, someone's about to throw this giant blizzard down, you can be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no magic for you. Yep. Yep. Sometimes you have to roll for it. Sometimes it's just automatic. And uh, that's one of those things that are casting it at a higher level spell slot is very advantageous. You have a much better chance of just wiping it clean no matter what. Um. A couple other spells I always recommend is Prestidigitation just because it is so versatile. 
Uh, I mean, I, I think we've talked about the spell multiple times by now. If not, just it, just take it. You can do anything with it. Like literally anything with prestidigitation. Pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's a super fun spell. Um, if you have a problem where you need to open a door or uh, anything like that, uh, the, the spell I always recommend is Fireball. Because I you fireball. Say, I thought you were going to say knock. <laughs> yep, I knew you thought I was going to say that. No, um, <laughs> I highly recommend fireball because you're a you're a wizard, <laughs> just hands down. But it's actually a really good AOE spell. Um, just be very very clear uh, where you're dropping your fireball because friendly fire is a thing in D anD D. Don't forget that. Very very important. Um, last but not least though when you get to level 9 if you have the means to do it you can learn wish which oh well sorry level 9 spell slot not just level 9 that I should probably yeah, level that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so wish is basically you, you have a wish and uh, if you're not using it to just cast any spell that you want in the entire world which is pretty cool. Um, you know, you carefully word a wish and then you have a 33% chance of never being able to cast wish again. But that's still worth it depending on what you are actually able to cast it for. I highly recommend it. If you can get up to 17. That, that's the tough part. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and finding uh, a scroll. That's, that's the tough that, part too. That's the dream, right? Is a campaign <laughs> that lasts that long. That is that is definitely a dream. Or a wizard that lasts that long. Or a wizard that lasts that long. Um, the one thing, too, as you're developing your wizard characters, keep in mind that from, from a lore standpoint, wizards, wizard magic is learned. Mm-hmm. It's not inherent. So if you, if you want to go the more I have magic type route, that's more of a sorcerer. The, the I'm, magic is innate. It's in my blood. It's born in me. Wizards are very much, I studied this. I learned this. And now I have magic as a result of this studying and this learning. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind while you're creating your characters as your spell book uh, and your whole and recording spells and learning is a very important piece of that. Yeah, um, I, I would equate it to wizards are mathematical, uh, like magic users. Sorcerers are liberal arts. I don't know, stupid thing, but I'm going with it anyway. It, it works in my head. I like it, I like it. Oh, okay, good. But uh, yeah, overall, I mean, they look like they're a ton of fun to play. Like I said, I've never, I've never actually played one. Uh, Highly recommended. Having played a sorcerer for a few sessions, I really think that I would probably enjoy a wizard much more. It just seems more controlled to me than just willy-nilly, hey, I can just throw spells out. It's like, it's the idea of, um, you know, learning how to use your power and understanding, like, the, the responsibility behind it instead of just walking straight into it. You know, it's different different type of mentality and everything. I think it'd be a lot of fun to role play too. Yeah, they they are. Uh, I I currently have a <clears throat> level nine wizard. 
Nice. Uh, high, one of the highest uh, level characters I've ever gotten. Uh, because, and it'd be interesting to see the data on this. And I think D&D Beyond at one point did a, uh, a data drop of like how many characters were in the X level of mm-hmm. categories. But there's not a lot of games that ever go post 10. Yeah. There, there really isn't. Most, most of the games take place in the 1 to 10 range, which is why if you look at the content, a lot of the content that Wizards put out puts out is in the 1 to 10 range because mm-hmm. that's where the majority of games take place. The higher the level you get, the more complex things get, the more complicated things get. Uh, just from a, a player perspective, and I have a bajillion things I can do, to a DM perspective of how do I challenge these characters? Holy crap, they have uh, planes walking and yeah. can which plane are we going around. to this session? That yeah, that, that's one of those things. It's, they can hop all over the world. It, it gets a lot more complicated just mm-hmm. overall. Plus, you know, the DM might want to actually be a player, so they start a new campaign with someone else DMing too. I mean, it, that's something that happens around that time as well. Who knows? There, there aren't a lot of level 1 to 20 campaigns that happen. So if you're able to join one, to play as a wizard, to not die, the entire world is yours by the end of it. Yeah, you're basically you're basically a demigod status mm-hmm. with a with a level twenty wizard. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Uh, for a wizard, as fun as it may seem, I don't recommend multiclassing just because of the perks that you get at level twenty. There's some there's some really cool stuff, and that's it's it's just the fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Like like for me, wizard is just pure wizard. Just it's just such a a fun a fun fantasy mm-hmm. class to play. And I, and I really enjoy it. Exactly. So. Well, speaking of DMS having trouble with high level characters and having to figure a bunch <laughs> of stuff out, Ben, you have a solution for that in our community content shout out. Yes. Um, I, I think I probably made it well known by this point. And if you haven't figured it out, uh, Hey, I'm just going to, outright tell you right now um i am a big fan of critical role i you know very much enjoyed listening to that or watching it or you know whatever it happens to be that week and uh the dm for that matt mercer is i mean you may have heard that name before he has been dming for years and years um he started critical role with the, the whole cast and everything just as a home game many years ago and uh because of of just how much fun they had, how often they tried to get together and, you know, friends at geek and sundry hearing some of their adventures and everything they, you know, they brought the show together. Well, if you ever want to get tips from someone who is literally a professional DM now and has been, you know, very creative and been playing all his life, uh, we're going to have a link in the show notes to the Matt Mercer DM tips. It's a series of, um, you know, maybe five to 20 minute episodes on the Geek and Sundry uh, YouTube channel where he talks about a bunch of different pointers for different things, whether it's, you know, experiencing player death versus, uh, you know, tuning encounters. Uh, I mean, there's something like, I think, 50 videos or something. He, he goes in and talks about a ton of different stuff. Um, I've watched, a, you know, 
a, a bunch of them over the past year or so. And I really recommend it. It's, it's incredibly helpful. It gives you an entirely different perspective on different things. Um, you know, and, and who knows, maybe uh, just your DM style is entirely contrarian to Matt's and you can listen for things that, you know, maybe it's, it's a perspective that you've never looked at before and you can add to your own game or decide, no, nah, that's not exactly for me. But it is a resource that is out there that I highly recommend. It is just a, a wealth of uh, DMing knowledge. Yep. Completely agree. I have watched most of them myself and I have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And pick and choose what you want, right? Exactly. It's, it's one of those things. There's a ton of knowledge out there. Grab what fits your play style, your DM style, your game, and use it. Yeah. great stuff. And even if you're not DMing, it's actually a really good uh, series of videos to, to, you know, consume as well, just because it gives you kind of an idea of not only the, the responsibility and work that a DM puts into it, but also kind of gives you an idea of, you know, how a table should be run and, you know, different ideas and things that you can do to, to potentially help your DM, whether it's, you know, be the person who keeps track of the initiative counter, or at least be open to, you know, little plot hooks here and there or little things that might be put in, you know, just for funsies and stuff. You know, I, I don't know how many times uh, I've seen people talk about one shots where it's like, Oh yeah. And and, you know, we, it took us like three hours to even get into it because no one wanted to, to jump into this fray or something. It's like, well, maybe it was poorly designed or maybe people are just being, you know, jerks and not taking the, the obvious thread to the one shot. Yeah. Yep. We we'll probably have, we'll probably do a whole episode at some point on one shots mm-hmm. because one shots are, are super interesting and can be great, but you have to approach them completely differently. Very much so. Than, than a campaign. Mm-hmm. And speaking of campaigns, oh I know God. we were both really excited the last time <laughs> we recorded because we were about to play D and D. Well, guess what? We both played D and D. Yes, we did. So Ben, why don't you tell us about what happened in uh, the games, the game that you're doing? <laughs> wow, what can I say? Um, <laughs> well, first of all, it. Uh, so I, I joined in. There will be dungeons uh, a couple times. Unfortunately, the next session I'm not going to be able to join in. I had other uh, conflicting things. So um, unfortunately, I'm leaving kind of in the middle of an arc, but. And we'll see what happens with that. So played that, had a lot of fun. I, I spent most of the time actually stunned and or making death saving throws. But I was still enjoying myself, you know, watching everything that was going on, living on every single word of anything that would even come close to me because I'm like, am I going to die this time? And so that was a lot of fun. My game though, oh man. So... I had, you know, a, a, an encounter or two all built up and ready to go. I had an idea of, of stuff that was going to happen. I had, had lore drops going on. I had uh, secret stuff that I was telling two different characters. And uh, so I was able to, to have like the, the private sessions with two of the characters, which was great. Um, and then we spent the entire session shopping, <laughs> which... 
turned out to so be a you lot had a of fun. shopping episode. Oh yeah, it was great, absolutely great. Um, they went in and visited Matilda, who is uh, the the owner and proprietor of the Scribbling Scribe, and they all, for the most part, got some really cool stuff. Uh, I, I may have shot myself in the foot with some a uh, couple of the things, but I figure it's going to be fun regardless. So we'll see what happens. Um, there's a, a really cool weapon that the paladin got. Uh, <laughs> there's some prayer beads that I just kind of on the fly decided what was on the beads. Uh, then I happened to have in the shop. I don't know why I decided it was a good idea, but uh, there were two bags of tricks. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but it's Those are the fuzzy balls, right? It's the fuzzy balls. Yep. Yeah, the fuzzy balls. <laughs> so now there are two bags. You haven't of heard tricks. of this. Go look the oh, item yeah. up. It's They're great. Hilarious. It's great. There's a, there's a, a gray one and a rust colored one. So we got two different ones in there. So now I'm like, Oh my gosh, worse comes to worse. Uh, I have two people pulling out three balls, which could even you know there's a chance that they could be something gigantic and big like you know like someone might get really lucky and get three dire wolves another person might get lucky and get like three brown bears potentially added to combat uh one of the beads on the 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 prayer or the the prayer beads was uh, a planar ally so there's a chance of that so i'm just like what have you done to yourself a lot apparently <laughs> so we're gonna see what happens i don't know it, it all depends on uh you know how the roles go and and if they decide to use them or not and you know maybe this is just going to be their their oh crap let's throw other things out there and escape you know who knows i don't know we'll see what happens with it but but regardless like i said it's gonna be fun and i'm i'm looking forward to any sort of hijinks or shenanigans that'll happen so do you have the next the next plot hook lined up? Do they do they oh, yeah. have they have the direction? They're they're ready to they're ready to go. They just exactly decided, let's spend all the money we just made. Yeah, I mean, I I rewarded them with five thousand gold. So you know, a thousand for each of them. I figure they can get you know a magic item, or maybe if they're combining or something or sharing their their pools and stuff, they can do that. But you know, you got to put gold sinks into the game in, in some form. Otherwise, they're just going to be super wealthy with you know, what's the point of rewards at that point? So they got some cool stuff. Uh, they ended up <laughs> visiting one of my new favorite shopkeepers, uh, Yusuf, the owner and proprietor of Yusuf's uh, Wagon Emporium. So they now have a wagon with uh, flames painted on the side of it because, you know, why not? It's, I hear it's faster that way. It is, definitely. Uh, they bought four horses from his sister who runs the corral next door. <laughs> And uh, now they're off on their way to the, the next adventure. So it was, it was a good uh, uh, prologue to the, the coming adventure. And it, it was silly and goofy and a lot of fun and everybody enjoyed it. And yeah, it's D and D that's, that's what it is sometimes. <laughs> Peak D and D pretty the much shopping, the shopping episode. Yeah. Uh, how about you? I know that you were super excited to see what was going on. Yeah, and I kind of mentioned uh, a lot of a lot of what happened um, earlier. I actually was able to um, one of my old players, who who had been playing in my campaign for a while, had school, like went back to school, so got super busy, had to bow out for a while. He's got a he, he finished school. He's got a new job now, and so last this last friday i was just like i texted him i was like you want to play he's like yeah that'd be fun and i was like okay 
So I've still got a few players from the original campaign still in the game. And so I had him come like 30 minutes later than everybody else and had him hide. And in this little area of the black market they were in, I was like, this, this tiefling approaches you in this robe and stuff. And I was just like, Hey, Alex, come on out. <laughs> and so everyone was just like, Oh my gosh. And it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was such a fun moment. And so he, uh, he, I had worked him back in, he, he was a tiefling rogue. I worked him back in and he was now, he's now working for, uh, one of the the dudes they're about to interact with mm-hmm. that gave them the lead to go find this this second man of bomb and uh, so that that was super fun it gave him a really good in to to join the party back up and and good reasoning so I was I was really happy with how all that worked out that's it, awesome it, uh, my my ranger who had all the stuff going on was back again the session which was great so we did a little like rewind time to kind of uh i did i did a fun little dream sequence with him because mm-hmm. he took a level of warlock this uh at level seven to kind of fit in with this whole patron curse bow thing that he had going on mm-hmm. uh so i i did a little bit with that and then if i i if you remember a few weeks or a few episodes ago i talked about the uh the obelix yeah who wanted to run the inn and how the characters actually let him do it and it became a thing well this session it was super hilarious because my my buddies who was gone last the last session his character didn't know what was going on so before <laughs> he went to find his friends he knew that they were going to go do this job at the this inn oh so no. he went there and i was like you walk up and you see the sign the boar's head and painted underneath it says under new management <laughs> and so he walks in and he basically sees slightly modified clones of several of his friends working in this in this <laughs> inn and it was it was just such a hilarious interaction just with him trying to figure out what was going on and this obelix being like super happy that he's getting this in fixed up and this is this is really what he's he's wanted to do and uh my my player was telling him he's like why don't you go out and he's just like well I would, but I'm kind of tethered here. And it was, it was just a super, super funny interaction. One of my, one of my favorite parts of the whole session. And it was just a little aside. That's awesome. That was, that's very cool. But lots of, it was a very combat heavy session. It was a good half. The session was, was all combat. It was a, a really big one. Everyone seemed to have a lot of fun. So there'll be a lot of, a lot of hopefully good RP to kind of deal with the aftermath of what happened next session. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what goes on with that. Um, I think today I might be playing before we record. No, darn my, my next campaign uh, game is going to be after we're playing. 
However, I am playing Star Wars on Sunday. So I Ooh. can tell you about what's going on with that. Yep. So you can get all uh can get all of our, our Star Wars fix. Yep. Disney, Disney Plus and gaming. Oh yeah. Uh and then what's even better is I'll be able to tell you about the one shot that uh Nevermore and I are gonna experience at the Cat Cafe this week. Really? Yep. That should be really interesting. Yep. At first I was gonna make it to Baxi, but then I changed my mind and now I'm a tortle cleric. I've always wanted to be a tortle. That Me too. That, it seems <laughs> like such a fun race. Oh yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I it the the whole uh like setting and everything is kind of like uh, think ancient Egypt. Uh we're gonna be, you know, like going to a tomb and everything so i went with the uh the the lore or the knowledge domain and i i'm an uh archaeologist who's a turtle who's a cleric and i'm just i'm super excited it's going to be a blast and i cannot wait to tell you about it that sounds like a super fun one shot oh I, yeah i cannot wait to hear about it um but that will have to wait for next time because that about wraps up what we've got for this week's episode. But before we go, Ben, why don't you tell people they can find us or where they can send us stuff to talk about? Oh, definitely. So if you want to tell us about your big bad evil guy and how you developed him and raised him and, and made him the absolute bane of your player's existence, make sure to send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Or if you want to tell us in uh, 280 characters or less, you can always tweet us at DN Discussions on Twitter. That is the faster way of getting a hold of us because, you know, we get that, you know, little notification pops up, tells us what's going on. Uh, plus, you know, we tend to respond pretty fast to that, especially if we're not in the middle of like doing something very important at work, which that's the key. Um, which is never. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, Ryan, if people are looking specifically for you, though, what's the best place to find you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord. Hit me up. Talk about D&D. Talk about gaming. In talk general, about gargoyles. Talk about gargoyles. I'm <laughs> super pumped that Gargoyles is on Disney+. Plus. My whole childhood is flashing before my eyes, and it is a wonderful thing. Also, uh, I sometimes get to try new board games and stuff and oh, tweet cool. about them. Recently, I got to learn the new Marvel Champions. Oh, how was it? That just came out really fun. Really, really cool. Uh, it's going to be one of those ones that has like a bunch of expansions that come out with like new heroes, new cards and stuff. It's, it's interesting because it's kind of the opposite of, the, of a deck builder game because you build your deck first and then play oh, versus okay. building your deck over time. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, there's a ton of different levels of difficulty and challenges. It comes with five different heroes. They're all pretty unique. So uh, I'm really excited to, to play it again. Very Yay cool. for local game shop introducing me to. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, if you're looking for me, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Ben Bumhofer. You can check me out there, find out all the different shows and other stuff that I'm doing and stuff. Uh, but this show, D and Discussions, I bet you're wondering where you can find us. Somehow someone is randomly playing this for you and you're like, I want to subscribe to that. Well, you can on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Google Play something like that, whatever. But um, 
check us out all over the place. And of course, on dndiscussions.com, where you can find out what our community uh, links are. We got uh, links to everything on that. If you haven't checked out our maps from our campaigns and everything from last episode, we've got that up there. And uh, overall, it's a pretty spiffy looking website, if you ask me. It is. Uh, it's a cool he- literally cool the header picture. Definitely. It's us, but we're cartoons. Yes. Which is something that I've always wanted to be my entire life. In fact, some might say I have aimed to act like that my entire life. And we've succeeded. Oh, we finally made it. Exactly. <laughs> so until next time, folks, thank you very much for listening to DN Discussions. And don't forget, be good to each other. <laughs>